3: And on this episode, a hostage crisis at a West German bank turns into must-see TV when the armed criminals flee across the country, ignoring the police, but talking to an exuberant press corps. We're discussing the Netflix documentary, Gladbeck, The Hostage Crisis. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host Of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Guten tag, Rebecca. So, Kevin, you are still the love of my life, by the way. Listeners have been telling me that they're worried that I don't say that in every podcast. Don't Um, don't worry,
4: people. I know.
3: We should just mention you are still recording separately from me up in your office. Because as of this recording, you still have COVID and we are recording separately, Right.
4: Yes, but I feel very good. And I feel like that I'm probably uh, 24 hours away from finally testing negative and being able to move around the house again. We haven't even had dinner together in so long.
3: Except for that time
4: when I was way on that one end of the table outside and you were on the other.
3: Yeah, it's been great. I've, I've been able to stretch out on the whole bed by myself. Like a starfish. It's been incredible.
4: <laughs> yeah, right, right.
3: <laughs> also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura Bricker. Hello, Rebecca Lavoie. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of The City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. <sighs>
5: V-Gates, Rebecca.
3: Toby, I forgot to ask you in the last podcast, how did you feel about the outcome of the NBA Finals? Disappointed? Happy? Excited? So,
5: I'm not a Celtics fan, but I like them more than the Golden State Warriors, and one of my best friends is a huge Warriors fan and does a lot of text taunting. Hmm. So, I was really, really, really rooting for the Celtics. And, Uh. uh... didn't happen for them and it kind of didn't happen for them in a way that kind of undermines your faith in their yeah. sort of intestinal fortitude i would say
3: yeah uh, you mean like the, the first game win and then like losing the rest of them kind of thing
5: well they won two but in the last couple games when they needed to sort of step up just didn't didn't seem to find that gear uh, yeah, yeah. so it's disappointing it's going to be even more disappointing when I see my buddy in a few weeks and I have yeah. to hear about it constantly yeah. Um, so yeah I'm well, a Wizards I'm fan you. so I don't yeah. even have to really worry about things like NBA championships probably for another 15 <laughs> or 20 years
3: yeah <laughs>
5: yeah.
3: well I'm prepping you because it's already happened more than a week ago so like you're going to see your friend in a couple weeks so like yep. I'm prepping you for like the, the future conversation about this yeah so, it's going to be you know.
5: waking up and hitting yeah. the hitting the bottle
3: You're going to be fine. You're going to be completely fine.
5: I'll I'll get through it.
3: You'll get through it. So, so Kevin, we have, uh, this is obviously Thursday's episode of Crime Writers On. What is happening on a future episode of Crime Writers On?
4: On Monday's show, we're going to be talking about the Netflix series Web of Make Believe, Death, Lies, and the Internet.
3: All right. Well, I think we should just get to the topic at hand and uh, go across the Atlantic and take care of this episode's review. You guys game for that? Let's do it. Get her done. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. We know who we are dealing with. I implore you,
5: until the hostages have been released or the hostage takers have been apprehended, do not report on these events.
3: After a 24-hour standoff at a bank robbery, two armed men and their hostages flee through West Germany. In a new town, they hold up a city bus and take more hostages. While the police stay back, the criminals instead open a dialogue with the press, calmly taking questions while brandishing weapons.
0: You don't think
1: it's better to give up?
0: Definitely not. This is how it will go down shots will be fired in there. My buddy is especially dangerous and the last thing will be
3: With reporters following the bus through the country, conducting interviews at every stop, the hostage takers are growing more anxious about the situation. With no clear-cut path for a peaceful conclusion, the nation remains glued to the television.
4: I'm going to lose my shit. Let her out. If someone harms her and she doesn't come back soon, I'll pull the trigger. Then we'll have a hole in the neck.
3: Now on Netflix, the German-language documentary Gladbeck, The Hostage Crisis, relies exclusively on footage shot by news crews who captured the 54-hour ordeal. For English-speaking audiences unfamiliar with the 1988 event, its close-up real-time chronicle of this rolling standoff builds both suspense and dread. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Gladbeck, The Hostage Crisis. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Additional note, I am the host of the Netflix documentary podcast, You Can't Make This Up. This is not a title we have discussed on that podcast, nor does my hosting that podcast affect my review. So, Laura Bricker, mm-hmm. this is a documentary in which we see cops not stopping criminals, but they also don't stop the
2: journalists who are just casually talking to the criminals. Did you have a central question about this? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Uh, sorry. I guess my question is, sorry. Sorry to start off with that um, expletive there. But like. You can start off with an expletive. There's no rule against that. I just, I'm watching this. Kevin can relate to this. I have been a journalist. I have been at crime scenes. I have been at scenes where there's a hostage in a house. There's no freaking way the cops are letting you past the line that they set up around the secure perimeter. I could not believe. I'm like, why did the police not set up a perimeter? Why did the police, even when that perimeter was broken, not say, hey, Um, Sorry, Kevin Flynn, you cannot jump in the back of that car and go on the Autobahn with these people. I'm sorry. You can take your little, like, Peugeot on the Autobahn if you want to (laughs) go. But no, I can't imagine seeing something like this today. Okay, they had a press conference. They said to the media, like, please don't report on the situation until it's over.
4: And even the Germans laughed.
2: Yeah, and they're like, (laughs) ha! Ah, we're going to bring them some food and whatever and chat with them. But there was one of the journalists that was involved in this because I was, I this was the part that I was like kind of like fired up about as I was watching this. So I started doing a little Googling. And one of them, in hindsight, who had been there when this happened, he was like 39 when this happened, working at one of the newspapers, said, if this happened today, every journalist would have to stop for a minute and say, Hang on, there are boundaries I mustn't cross. But back yeah. then, he says, we were all in kind of a frenzy. We just didn't stop to consider what we were doing. And that was apparent. But like, I guess I'm surprised that the German police weren't a little bit more forceful when there were like legit lives at stake. And they're all just hanging out with this guy while he's smoking cigarettes. We're providing you with protection.
0: I mean, if there was no one from the press hanging around. I didn't drive here because I thought that's where the press is. I didn't know.
2: No, no. You're right. I
0: mean, where did they all come from?
4: Well, you're right on the square. WDR, the advertiser. This is Cologne's media center. This is my first
3: time in Cologne, you You know? came to the right spot. What's your first name? The first encounter, Toby, really surprised me, right? So this guy comes out of the bus. It starts with, like, photography, right? Where everyone's just trying to get, like, the perfect photo. And it's just like, And the guy comes out, and the photographer's like, And then one of the reporters, like, ask him if he, when you're over there taking the photo, ask him if he'll do an interview. And the hostage taker, Hans Jürgen is like, yeah, I'll come over to an interview. And next thing you know, he's just walking over and standing in a scrum, surrounded by reporters, gun by his side. And they're just super cash. Like he's the quarterback at the end of the football game, just talking about how the game went. It was really something, the casualness.
5: Right. Yeah. You pick it up. And like pretty much a day has already happened, right? By the time the the film kind of picks up, yeah, they they call him over, and it's kind of like like he's the cool kid, and all these journalists are like laughing at the stuff he says. There's one guy who's trying to light his cigarette and unsuccessfully, and and uh, Hans Jürgens like cup it with your hand. And he goes, oh yeah, okay, um, <laughs> yeah, and he just like kind of has this conversation with him. He sits down in the car. He's taking phone calls like he seems like kind of stressed out i think by the whole situation where he's you know he's holding hostages but the idea that he's hanging out amongst these journalists he's very very casual and they're very casual i think they must have just assumed that this was going to be something that was resolved peacefully and it's just kind of going through these motions that they have to go through before these guys surrender because if they thought they were actually going to potentially kill those hostages, what they're doing is absolutely insane, mm. which is, you know, basically treating him. Yeah. Like you said, like he's a quarterback, like he's a cool guy. Like, tell us more. Tell us more. What do you, you know? And he he seems to like eat it up, you know? I mean, mm. he's not like smiling and laughing and stuff, but I think he's enjoying the power dynamic that he has there which is you know it's not too dissimilar from what he had with the hostages where the hostages have to do what he says cuz they've got guns on them and these journalists are just doing it just because that's what they're doing
4: yeah you know i think
5: you know from a an operational point of view where things really
4: broke down was after the first 24 hours when they're in the bank they ask for a getaway car and they give them the getaway car and then they drive off but they're not going to drive off into the wilderness never to be seen again so now there's This really uncontrolled, slow speed chase where the police don't really know what to do. And when they get to this town where, you know, they commandeer the city bus, I guess the police's attitude was like, for safety, we need to pull back. But for some reason, the press, you know, they they weren't there like hoping to get interviews with the bank robbers. It literally just came to them. And so what was amazing was the, the comfort with which. Not only one of the two hostage takers could just walk away from the bus and not fear getting arrested or hit by a sniper or something like that, but also that the reporters felt with, you know, talking to a dangerous man holding a gun. They walked onto the the bus,
3: Kevin. They went onto the bus. Come
4: on, take pictures on the bus. Yeah. That is a level of comfort that is, you know, you're not going to see that again, but it also sets up that when they get to the rest stop later on in the, in that evening, that it's going to be okay for them to get off the bus and go pee. I mean, what's going to happen? They do try to arrest, you know, the the third person who joins them, the girlfriend, and then that's a huge mistake because they've already sort of set the precedent that you can just sort of come and go in part because they're really going nowhere. They're driving around Germany and uh, I don't know where they go, Amsterdam, wherever the hell else they went. The Netherlands. They left the country. They came back to the country. They went to Cologne. Like they just really weren't going anywhere.
3: But I have a question for you. How much as an audience, like how much does this film benefit from the fact that we don't know anything about this story? Like how much do we benefit from that?
4: Yeah. So to pivot from the actual story to this documentary, I will say this is unlike anything I've seen in a long, long time. Maybe the closest thing was American Murder which was shot like mostly with police body cam. But you can look stuff. that up and on a-
3: Wikipedia or like a million news stories. Yeah, sure.
4: And maybe in 10 years, no one's going to remember the details of this story. Be like, aha. But what's great about this is that it is just the raw footage from the TikTok tock of this uh, of this crisis. But also we aren't given any other narration, no other signposting. It's just we don't know what is going to happen either. And so that builds a lot of suspense and a lot of dread.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com
1: slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look,
4: there's gonna be a shortage of welders.
1: VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career.
4: The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's
1: at meta.com slash impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle
0: with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film, Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details.
3: So, Kevin, I think it's time for you to do your business section. Octung! (laughs) Octung! It is the business
4: section.
2: Yes. Do you know, my grandmother used to say that to me all the time. Oh, really? When I wasn't really? moving, was yeah. My Pennsylvania Dutch grandfather, when I wasn't moving fast enough, she'd go, "Achtung, Achtung!" Oh, yeah. Schnell, schnell. Yeah, you know what? Yeah.
3: My Pennsylvania Dutch stepdad used to say that too, and it was real scary.
4: <laughs> but "achtung" just means attention. It doesn't mean yes. step on, it, right? Yes, yes. I but it was schnell, schnell, schnell right? fast, fast. Yeah, it was
3: faster, faster. Yes, but it's like not. It's still scary. It's scary. Hold on.
4: Yeah. In any event, if you join us now on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get all sorts of exclusive podcasts there, including our Crime Writers on After Show. By the way, people keep talking about uh, last week's Crime Writers on After Show where we did a quiz. I asked the other crime writers about different shows that we have reviewed. Essentially... I tell them the name of it and ask them if they remember any goddamn thing about it. And uh, <laughs>
3: spoiler alert, the answer is no. <laughs>
4: there was a lot of buzzes as opposed to a lot of dings in that one. Also, want to let you know is uh, we're going to be coming up in July. We're going to have a new summer schedule. We'll have Crime Writers on episodes every Monday, but just not on Thursdays for the summer. And so we're going to be doing a couple of different things on Patreon, including having a uh, live zoom cast where our folks on patreon can watch us record the next episode of crime writers on live
3: nice so kevin all uh, the swearing all the insults yes all
4: the flubs yeah it's all the
3: passive aggression so kevin um is there a newsletter that we have the only people to sign up for
4: yeah later today the newest edition of the crime writers on newsletter will be out and if you don't get it Well, you're missing out. Uh, There's great things on it, like you get to see photos of the Cat of the Week, our Tweet of the Week, new Crime Writers On merch, and all sorts of Crime Writers On behind-the-scenes things. All you have to do is go to our website, CrimeWritersOn.com, right at the top of the page. Stick in your email address. We promise to sell them only to aluminum siding salesmen, who will call you after 10 o'clock.
3: By the way, so this week I heard from political scientist at UNH Dante Scala, who got news from our Crime Writers on Newsletter, and a bunch of people at my job who apparently get the Crime Writers on Newsletter. So our subscription base apparently goes well beyond what I thought of as our podcast audience. So way to go, Kevin, on our newsletter subscriber list. Way to go.
4: Yeah, we've moved beyond the free level where we have enough people that now we have to pay.
3: No, we don't. For these Oh, new letters. oh no, but subscribers don't have to pay. We have no, to pay no, for our yeah. We, yeah, we have, have to, pay, to pay, pay for our mailchimp. Like we pay considerable it's not amount of money. or yes. something
4: like that. No, yeah, we, so. we
3: pay a considerable amount of money to send out this newsletter. So subscribe to it because just know we're paying for it, and you may as well get it for free, yeah. right?
4: Or unsubscribe when you're done, so we're not still <laughs> carrying the load.
3: All right, so Kevin, before we wrap up uh, this business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week?
4: Our Patreon patron saints are Brittany Moose and Rebecca Kelly. Bless you.
3: Bless you. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And Kevin, does thus end the business section?
4: Thus ends the business section.
3: I'm going to fade that music out right now. Laura, what do you think about the fact that there is nothing else here besides footage and that you came into this completely cold knowing nothing about this case.
2: Yeah, so I'm not a fan. I have to say like I could have looked this up on YouTube and probably found pretty much all the footage and I guess my sort of feeling about this was it was interesting and it was interesting to see the footage and it was interesting to see like I this sort of like blasé attitude and energy that surrounded the whole thing which I thought was kind of surreal but like we're looking at this now. I want some context. I want to see where are the people now. I want some interviews with people who are there remembering it. I want some more sort of analysis of how journalists really messed up in this and the lessons that were learned from that. And so for me, I didn't feel like I took a lot away from this because it was just a bunch of videos strung together like I would have seen on YouTube. So yeah, I,
4: I'm gonna disagree with you, Laura. Okay, I, disagree with like you.
2: It worked <laughs> for me. It absolutely to have all that
4: stuff taken away. Now there are details, you're right, that we didn't get that were super interesting because I did look it up too. Laura, did you know that when they gave them that BMW at the end, mm-hmm. they installed a remote control so they could just kill the engine mm-hmm. but they forgot the remote control someplace else so they weren't able to use it?
2: Yeah, I, I looked up a lot of stuff about I just I was frustrated.
3: So, Toby, what do you think about this? Because this is a very strange format. And I, as a viewer, you're very disoriented, right? Because if you're an American viewer and you don't look it up, you don't know a lot about the story, but nor did, you know, the viewers at home didn't, nor did the journalists who were sort of nonchalantly plopped into this. Kevin gave me an interesting note that I'm going to let you respond to, Toby, even though it's Kevin's note. Kevin said, as a viewer, he felt like he had Stockholm syndrome because he felt like he was increasingly more at ease with these guys until he wasn't. Like, what did what did how were your feelings? As sort of like you were watching this. Did you dread? Did you feel like nothing was going to happen until it did?
5: Yeah. So I I thought this worked really well. I agree with Kevin on that. I I, I mean I think the issues are so clear that I didn't feel like I needed anybody to talk to me about him. I guess I watched it mostly with Dread. And, and one of the things is is that they pick up... So there's a scene where the press people go on the bus while it's still parked in this, in this town, and they're taking pictures. So you, you get a sense of who's on the bus. And there's like a family. I think it turns out they're Italian. It's like a boy who looks like a teenager and his younger sister and maybe his mother or father. I can't remember. There's a couple of older people. There's this uh, attractive young woman who gets a lot of camera time. and then she's the one who they end up focusing on the hostage takers focus on. Like she's the one who has a gun under her chin, like the whole rest of the way. Once they sort of pare it down, they take a couple of hostages and leave. And so that was what made me sort of have the sense of dread, was watching her and her transformation from when they first interview her. And they ask her if she's nervous. She's like, ah, oh, not really. You know, I don't think they're really going to do anything to me. Do to How do
1: you feel the with the gun to your throat? No,
0: I'm just Pretty just good, considering. As- it's all kind of to surreal
1: you. to me. So Too young.
4: Do you think he so so would
2: pull, pull, pull the trigger?
0: No. 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 No.
5: And as time goes on, and you can see, like, they all are getting exhausted it's becoming more and more fraught. The guy who's actually holding the gun, this guy Dieter seems
3: unhinged.
5: Yeah. I was going to say unhinged <laughs> and I was looking for another word, but unhinged. will do. Hey. Um,
3: and they, will oh, by and, the way, they, they look at, like they're starting to smell worse and worse and worse, which I know is like, not like a great, it's very superficial like thing. But at, at one point the journalist is like, are you looking forward to having a bath? And I'm like, it actually spoke to sort of the like the amount of time, the heat, yeah. like that. Yeah, I I just kept thinking of the atmosphere in the car, fifty like.
5: hours of like nervous sweating. Yeah,
3: exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. He That's was a like, Dieter was unhinged. Yeah, they
5: they, un, they interview her again and they ask her if she's nervous and she's like, yeah, like I'm very nervous. And you find out at the end that they they killed her. Mm-hmm. So it was rough. And then at the end, I was like, was that? Like, does that even seem fair to have this thing where you're so focused on her, where the filmmakers know that she's going to die at the end? Because she's, she's really the only hostage face that you get to know. Like, the other ones you see kind of quick flashes of, and there's a second hostage, but the camera never really finds her. Or if they did find her, they don't include it in this. So, really, she's like the proxy for all the hostages. And she dies at the end. So, that was... I mean, it's it's tough. Like, the impact of it, I felt was it was somewhat even stronger because you don't hear anything else about her. Like, you don't have any idea. At the end, you find out that she was 18 or something. Yep. But you don't know anything about her life. You just know her as this face of this young woman who gets increasingly sort of scared and despairing, and then you find out that there, it was with good reason.
3: Yeah. The thing that struck me, Kevin, was how... Later into the hostage crisis, the press—they seem to start enjoying their role in the story. Remember when that one reporter was like, "He said I needed a car, so I offered to like give him my car," right. and it was like
4: the photojournalist that they first, yeah, made friends with. I guess. Yeah,
3: and it was—it was sort of like um, at one point, you know, when they were when they were in Cologne when they, when they, went to, they took the seven series, it felt like they were colluding in this story. By the way, I, I'm very uncomfortable blaming the reporters in this story because it was very clearly a failure of law enforcement to do anything here, right? To take these guys seriously, mm-hmm. to do anything. And the media had access, so they completely took advantage of this access. What were they supposed to do?
2: I would have taken advantage of it. I would have been like, sweet. I want." But I mean, yeah. and, what, at, what, at the, the time, what, what were the oh media supposed to do? Yeah. Like,
3: they were given access and took advantage of the access. And they were asking them questions and they were in there. But in hindsight, it is wild because there's no law enforcement there. Like remember in Cologne, Kevin, like there were people in the streets waiting for them to arrive. They all people wanted to be there. Like I want to be part of the story. It was wild.
4: Yeah. Well, either fortunately or unfortunately for them, the place they ended up was the media hub, you know, with all right around all the different newspapers and whatnot. So, reporters didn't have to go anywhere they just left their desk and went out and started talking to them and because of what happened with the way that the hostage takers interacted with the press the day before that they have every expectation that they're just gonna roll down the window and just chat with them in a very safe candid way because that's what they've been doing all along even though there is the specter that they're more and more anxious they're getting tired you know we start seeing that in Cologne there where like all of a sudden, getting twitchy and they're like oh hey uh, you know Hans the guy in the back seat there he looks like he might be he might be starting to lose it and I think it is because yeah the police thought if we get close they're going to react poorly to police so we're going to back away and then that just sort of left the space for the press whom you know were actively courted to come in and tell their side of the story
3: Laura didn't it strike you though that they, they even after they shot one of the hostages there were still media talking to, I mean, especially the girlfriend. Like She was like, you know, that was unfortunate. Yeah. (laughs) There was still, I mean, it was still a conversation. We see what happens later, and it's very, very unfortunate that it's hard to know what actually happened later, right? At the end of the film, because it's the only thing that's not documented. And my very cynical, you know, 2022 American brain is like, do we know for sure that that young woman was killed by the hostage takers? Do we actually know that for sure? Given, like, the chaos of what we see there on the road later, we don't know for sure. Like, there might been a shootout. We don't know. Yeah. But the fact that they had already killed somebody and that mm-hmm. there's still this press access to these hostage
2: takers. Yeah. What oh. do you think about that? I don't even know what to think about that because I, I you know... Again, I think like you were saying, it's like it's hard to blame the journalists. And and in hindsight, a lot of the journalists, like I said, I was I was reading some interviews where they're like, hey, now we wouldn't have done that at the time. Like if I was a young journalist and I had access to a story and I was like, oh, my God, there's a fucking bank robber. I'm going to go talk to him right there. Like he's right in front of me. Like I would go going back to what we were talking about with, like, you know, my, like, I didn't like that there was no commentary, there was no analysis, but I'm going to say, despite the fact that there was not that in this documentary, I feel like there were clips in this that really conveyed the horror of this entire situation, no words necessary. You know, we see at one point, one of the guys come out holding a gun to a little girl's head. We see the 18-year-old woman, and a gun is held to her throat. We see a wounded hostage being taken away after they've been shot. You know, we see the head hostage taker coming out just like chill, smoking his gun, but at one point holding his gun, you know, he's always kind of holding the gun around. And at one point, like, I think somebody was like, well, might it look better if you, like, held the gun like this? And I'm like, oh, my God. But as I'm talking about this, the fact that they didn't do anything and the police didn't intervene after that situation you were mentioning i think it's cuz this whole situation was so fucked up at this point i mean you've got the guy getting in the back of the car you've got all the journalists chasing these people down the road like it's it's a surreal and it's it's just it's like the german oj simpson only it's not like they need their like white bronco that they're like chasing down the autobahn except it's obviously much more deadly than oj simpson driving down the highway and it but it was in terms of it just being a spectacle, everybody was watching it unfold live on TV.
3: Yeah, Kevin, can you blame the reporters? Only like they were working together for the same outlet. They were just doing what one reporter asked yeah, a no. question, another reporter asked. No, a-
4: I was not blaming that. I was—you can't blame the reporters. They're yeah. there. They're on that sidewalk thinking we're getting video, we're getting photos because the situation is over there. We're lucky we're this close. They're thinking the great stuff they're getting is visuals. The fact that one of the hostage takers felt comfortable enough. To come off the bus and walk over and just answer any question was surreal, right? You you won't ever see that again, but it speaks to a lot of different things, including his comfort with the situation where he felt like I could be out here. Nothing bad is good. The police are not going to make a move on me. Right. And that's why I have the time to talk to these reporters. Also, you kind of have to wonder how hard hitting are the questions going to be when you're asking an armed man? Yeah, I mean, someone brings up the kid that he shot in the head the night before, but nobody's, like, really doing the Mike Wallace routine to the guy about, don't you feel guilty? Like, you're not gonna do
3: that while he's still got a fucking gun, man. Toby, right, right away, I mean, this is the one thing that I will say before we give our review. The very first thing we find out when they first talk to Hans Jürgen is they ask him about his past, and he says... Yeah, I was really violent. I was incarcerated. I stabbed a prison guard in the neck like a bunch of times. They know immediately that he's a super violent guy. And I'm thinking at that point, like, it's very easy to say police overreact. There's a million ways this could have gone wrong if the police did the wrong thing. But the police did nothing. And these reporters also were extremely comfortable with a guy who very casually told him that he had stabbed somebody in the neck, like fairly recently.
5: And that he wasn't gonna to go to prison, he was gonna kill the hostages and he could kill himself. I right. mean he, he basically says it. I mean my question, I guess, about the journalists is they do kind of become go betweens in negotiations, right? And that to me seemed like outside the scope of what a journalist really should be sort of becoming involved in because they're not agreed. that's not something that they're trained in I mean it's not not their fault but it's just you don't know the psychology of hostage dramas I mean people are trained for that stuff I mean apparently not in 1988 in this part of Germany but you know in the US it would be like you do not fucking talk to those people this one guy from the FBI is going to talk to them and because yep. he knows what he's doing. So that was the one thing I thought with the journalists. It's like, uh, you know, these guys are pretty jacked up about like, I'll give you my car. You know, do you need some food? Can I get you some food? How about a cigarette? It's like, look, you know, I'm not sure that that's really where you want to be going with this.
3: Hang- say like they're hanging out with the cool kids. Like yeah. exactly like you said.
5: And what, what was your original question? I kind of like went off on a tangent.
3: <laughs> I think that was it.
5: Okay. <laughs> Good enough. That's what I wanted to talk about anyway.
3: All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Gladbeck, The Hostage Crisis? It's a German language documentary on Netflix. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this foreign language documentary on Netflix?
2: You know what? I think this is a really interesting case. I did not like this documentary. I didn't like the way that it was told. I felt like, I mean, it was interesting. They tried to step out of the box and hey, we're going to just string all of the news footage together and you're going to draw your own conclusions. But I guess where I was coming from watching this, I would have preferred, given the time that has passed, to have some commentary, to have some of the people that were there, to have a little bit of analysis of how the media changed their approach after this. And I just kept zoning out during this. And I shouldn't have been zoning out because there was a lot of really horrific scenes in this. But I was not a fan. I think if you want to learn about it, read the BBC article that I read when I was um, studying up for this podcast taping. Toby Ball.
5: Yeah, it pains me to have to disagree. I thought this is very interesting. I kind of feel like...
3: Why does it pain you? Just because you like Laura?
5: Yeah, I like to, you know, find <laughs> areas of agreement, even if we They're disagree long-term. in a the larger long-y. way. Uh, <laughs> in this case, I think I, I just disagree with the gen- her general take, uh, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, I kind of just felt like, I mean, part of what's interesting about it is how different things would be done now. And I thought that was just so striking and so clear that I didn't feel like it was necessary for somebody to point that out to me, what had changed and what was kind of messed up. I mean, it's very apparent. Yeah, it's, it's very tense. The whole thing is very tense. And even in times when it doesn't seem like it's tense, like it seems like a relaxed atmosphere, uh, it's still kind of tense because it's so strange the way certain things are playing out. That, at least to me, it kind of gave me this feeling like this is just not, despite the fact that this moment doesn't seem particularly fraught, this is not the way it should be going, and I don't think it's going to pan out very well as we go on. So I, I just felt it was very tense. It was interesting. I mean, the story, despite not having any kind of narration or anything other than just these clips, it's very, very easy to follow what's going on. There's no real question about who's who, what's happened, you know, sequencing and stuff like that. It's, it's really well edited that way. So, yeah, I give, I give it a thumbs up. I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was good. You know, I wouldn't want every documentary to be like this, but I thought that they found a good, a good happening to use this technique uh, to shed light on.
3: So, Kevin, how about you? Gladbeck, The Hostage Crisis, thumbs up or thumbs down?
5: I am a big
4: thumbs up. I really enjoyed this because of its stripped down sensibility, but also because it was super intimate and the history as it happens, nature of it, it was very, very tense. And that was because you realize you're in an unstable situation where there is danger lurking just beneath the surface and you know it's going to come but you don't know how uh, even though you probably know if it's a 54 hour standoff then it's going to happen in the 54th hour but what happens along the way is just mesmerizing i was mesmerized by this documentary and it's one of the few things that i want to go back and watch a second time right away
3: hmm yeah i'm a thumbs up i didn't like it as much as you kevin I don't like suspense as much as you do. Let me put it that way.
4: <laughs> that I know. That I know.
3: <laughs> and I found myself, I guess this is why I'm giving it a thumbs up. I was very discomfited by this. Uh, its It had me very on edge. And I felt like I also had Stockholm Syndrome at the hands of these perpetrators, which I guess is what made it good. Um, so, yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up. I wasn't quite as enthralled as you were. But it was good, and it was incredibly creatively put together and real weird. And I would say, if you're up for watching something very different in a foreign language, if you watch it with the dubbing, as we did, just know that the dubbing is very, very bad. It's awful. And yet Kevin enjoyed it anyway. So yeah, thumbs up for me for Gladbeck. Uh, Huge thumbs up from Kevin. Thumbs up for me, and I guess between us, that's like a pretty strong thumbs up, right? That's where we are with it. All right, that's going to do it for us. Before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week?
2: You guys, this might be one of my favorite entries ever. It was complete with a video. So it comes from Michael Vincent Philly. My cat of the week are the wild boars in my apartment building in Rome. Oh, my God. Hi, I'm Michael in Italy, and I have been listening to CWO from the first episode. I live in Rome, very close to two national parks. And since the pandemic, the wild boars seem to have multiplied and become bolder and bolder. And there is a video of like a wild pack of boars like running through the courtyard in his apartment building. So, Michael, I hope you're okay because during my 80s miniseries rewatching binge during the period of my COVID and when I was watching the Thornbirds. The wild boars killed Meggie's brother. So be careful, Michael. Oh be my careful. God, I forgot about yes. that. Yes, Stewie, he lived the first time. He died oh the second time. God. So wild boars can be deadly, Michael. Please, I hope you are going to listen to Crime Writers On. Through the next episodes, so and imagine, Laura, that was only the second
3: worst thing that happened to her after Father Ralph de Brickesaw also didn't leave the priesthood for her. Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, (laughs) exactly. And then her brother got killed by a wild boar. So, Michael, what the fuck is going on here?
5: (laughs) Are we gonna do like a Thornbirds rewatch podcast?
2: Father, what a waste! <laughs> I, I t- totally deteriorated during COVID. I was also watching Sydney Sheldon made-for-TV miniseries. So. Oh dear God! <laughs> All right,
3: Lara Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and give you their Thornbirds takes. How can they find you on Twitter to share their Thornbirds memories with you? Um, they can find me at Lara Bricker. And by the way, Lara, I also saw that wild boar video. I thought it was fake. It's wild. (laughs) It's completely insane. It is. He's an apartment. Those boars look like it's like the apocalypse. It's insane.
2: Yes. They're just running hog wild.
3: And it's in a city too. All right. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and say, hello, Toby. I think I saw a UFO as well. How can they find you on Twitter?
5: At Toby Ball NH.
3: And Kevin Flynn, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and say, I can't wait until you're back in the studio with your wife. How can they find you on Twitter?
4: I'm at Kevin P. Flynn.
3: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at RebLavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at CrimeWritersOn. And please join our incredible community in our official CrimeWritersOn Facebook discussion group. As one fan said to me this week, it is the only non-toxic Facebook group in true crime. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show married with podcast. Lara Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the handsome and astute Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also spend hours making sleep-deprived decisions while drunk on German beer. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later.
4: Later! Rebecca, Rebecca, what if I... No one can hear that now. They're not going to hear the dog. Okay. So don't reference the dog.
3: Okay, but you know what? When you were talking... When you were talking before, he was barking his fucking head off, and I could hear it through my headphones. So.
4: Different here. It's going to be different here. Please okay. just trust me on this, okay? Oh, look, we're still not fighting. Not my rodeo. We're still yeah, fighting.
2: We're st- oh, my God, Toby. We- <laughs> it's still happening. We had this discussion. Okay, I
4: know it because it's been recorded. You do not need to worry about it. Okay,
3: that. Dad. It's cool. It's cool. You good? You good? Yeah. All right, good. Okay, babe. Are you good, babe? Okay, you good.
2: All they right, let's just me? wrap
3: that up. So, maybe you should send it to in my review, Olivia, and cut out the rest of that <laughs> bananasness. <laughs>